listening to Wireframes presented by the Application Developers Alliance. Hello, this is Jacob Goldstein from the Application Developers Alliance. The advantages of the cloud over local storage are well known, including scalability, flexible contracts, and reduced costs. But there are many different types of cloud storage and processing services available to developers, and choosing the right offering or mix of offerings is not always easy. SoftLayer's Phil Jackson joins me to discuss the different types of cloud servers and how to most effectively build a backend for your app in the cloud. Uh, hello, Phil. Thank you for coming on. Before we get started, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about SoftLayer. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me on. Uh, SoftLayer is an infrastructure as a service provider, um, which is IaaS for short. Um, we do virtual machines and bare metal servers, uh, which is kind of your traditional public cloud, as well as a non-hypervised server is what I mean by bare metal server. We offer CDN, uh, object storage, kind of all the things that go along with the infrastructure itself. And we were acquired by IBM uh, just about a year and a half ago. Great, great. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about bare metal, something that you mentioned, because it's becoming um, a more and more popular service in certain sectors of uh, the developer community. And I wanted to just to, to ask you what separates bare metal from other kinds of cloud services and what kinds of functions does it accomplish better than a traditional cloud offering? Yeah, absolutely. What I've always found pretty interesting about, about bare metal. Um, so I've been in the infrastructure as a service industry for just about 10 years. Uh, started a company called EB1 Servers. We, we merged with the planet, the planet merged with software, and then software was purchased by IBM. And what I find interesting about it is that throughout that entire 10 year history, at least of my career, we've always offered bare metal servers. Mm-hmm. And we've also always offered virtual machines. Um, but honestly, back then, even maybe eight years ago, nine years ago, uh, virtual machines were, were a smaller, much smaller portion of the business just because the technology really hadn't advanced to the point where you could have a, a very cost-efficient way to provide virtual machines. And I think that's really what the cloud movement is kind of about is now we have these uh, affordable and disposable virtual machines where before we treated virtual machines just like you would any server. Uh, and we used to call bare metal servers dedicated servers. So you, you might hear those terms flip, flip-flop sometimes. But really, what the bare metal server is going to provide you that a virtual machine is not um, is single tenancy is, is probably the largest, the largest component. Most of the time when we're talking about cloud servers, we're talking about a bare metal machine with some type of hypervisor on top of it, and then we're putting a number of virtual machines, and then we're selling each one of those virtual machines as a, as a cloud server. Uh, this works for a lot of models, and it's 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 great in a in a huge number of ways, and that's why we also offer the product because we believe in it. Uh, but it's not great for everything. Um, there, we used to have a big concern about a hypervisor tax and and. That was really just the additional processing that was required to work through a hypervisor. Uh, the hypervisor tax is very, very small now, so that's not a huge concern. What is still a big concern is uh, kind of what we call the noisy neighbor problem. Mm-hmm. And it's really apparent when dealing with high I.O., 
a lot of IOPS, database, data analytics, or, or anything that's going to really hit a hard drive a lot. That's where you're really going to start to see a difference with bare metal. Because while you can get a high-performing virtual machine in a public cloud, as far as IOPS is concerned, and you might be able to hit some awesome benchmark numbers, it's going to be hard to find a provider that's going to be able to offer a public cloud with multi-tenancy on each physical machine that's going to be able to provide a consistent level of uh, storage performance for that specific virtual machine. So a lot of times what you see is a whole bunch of peaks and valleys for your storage performance mm -hmm. over a specific time period. But with a bare metal, since you're the only tenant, you're the only person or company utilizing that, that physical resource, you have a much better idea of how that machine is going to perform at any given point in time, rather than having to play a little bit of a numbers game on, on when it's going to perform and when it's not going to perform. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, that's uh, so. In your experience, who, what kinds of of applications tend to have the the biggest problems with with not having that consistency and having so called noisy neighbors? Because uh, a lot of, I mean, it seems like almost everything these days uses some kind of data analytics and some kind of of database backend to it. So, but what kinds of what kinds of apps or, or programs have you seen? in your experience that really need the consistency that bare metal provides? You know, it, it's, it's also a matter of kind of what your, your company or your business or your application is focused on. Mm -hmm. If, if you're using a, a third party, uh, let's say database as a service, then, then you probably don't need bare metal, right? Because your provider that's actually providing that service is probably already doing that, right? They're, they're probably either doing bare metal or they've, they've come up with some cool way to provide that in their own virtual environment. So most, I think, smaller apps that are utilizing a lot of third-party services, it's, it's probably not something that you need to do. I think bare metal is something that you typically grow into. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also a matter of configuration options. So when you get to a very finite point and you're, you're really trying to figure out exactly how to tune your app perfectly to your environment, using a public cloud is, is not always possible because you don't have control over the physical gear, right? So when you're looking at does my application work better in this RAID array versus this RAID array on these types of hard drives or these types of hard drives, that's when it starts to become interesting to look at bare metal servers. So now back to kind of the question of what types of applications or, or mobile apps or, or things like that that might be interested. It's really anything that's going to be crunching a whole bunch of data or anything that's going to be doing a bunch of I.O. If you're running your database in memory, for example, and the whole thing's in memory and you're only dumping to hard drive you know, once every minute or 30 seconds or whatever it is, uh, it might not be as necessary. Uh, but if you're doing a lot of analytics and a lot of archival type storage where you're going to have a whole bunch of I.O. coming on and off the hard drive, that's really where it starts to become interesting to, to be able to look at bare metal as an option versus a, versus a virtual machine. Yeah, I... I'd love to get in, into a little bit more of kind of at at what level exactly one one needs to start thinking about that because I, I I've never developed anything to the level where I need to start thinking about 
the how the device how it's working on the hard drive and i was wondering what your thoughts on sort of like what just sort of what the size of 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 operations you need to be doing is that you get to that point where you need to start thinking at that i guess what would be kind of the deepest level of interacting with the with the back end that you're using I, i'm not sure if it's really a matter of of size as as it is interest in, in optimization. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if, if you kind of look at an example like Reddit, they, for the most part, host in a, a public cloud, and they've found a model that kind of works for them. I don't know a lot about their infrastructure, so for all I know, they've switched all over to bare metal servers, right? Um, it's possible to make really big things without bare metal servers. Um, it's really a matter of how much do you want to optimize and how much do you want to get your hands dirty with optimization, right? So you might be able to, for example, maybe you have you know a web app or a mobile app that could run on 50 virtual machines, but maybe it only requires five dedicated servers, or maybe only maybe only two dedicated servers to house your database, and then maybe 10 web servers to actually handle all the traffic back and forth. Um, it's really a matter of configuration, I think, rather than size. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen very small implementations that, that use a dedicated machine just because it's more cost-effective. Maybe they want to run their own hypervisor. Maybe they don't want to use software's portal to manage their virtual machines. Maybe they want to use the VMware console directly. Um, so, so it's a little bit more, I think, than just size of application or size of company. I think it's really a, a little bit more about preference and, and how, how technical the group is and how technical they want to be as well. Maybe you have all the technical seals, but you just don't want to worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot, of, uh, a lot of sense, and I'm wondering sort of what... In your experience, is is that decision, the decision to kind of invest, if someone is, is thinking about moving to bare metal, decision to kind of invest in making that technical leap and, and, and starting to manage that, is that more about cost effectiveness and, and just running the structure more effectively, or is that something that can really increase the performance of your app and, and the performance of the of the whole system that you're running? I think it's a little bit both, honestly. Uh, I know that's a, been my answer for the last two ones. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it, it can be both. Um, like I said, you can do very large things with just virtual machines, but you have to – sometimes you have to play games, right? So – Let's say you have uh, you order ten virtual machines. Uh, five of them may be on hosts with very few other customers on them. The other five may be on populated hosts. So maybe these five don't perform as well as the other set of five. So now you have to make a decision on okay, so do I have a degraded experience for all the people who show up on these five servers? Do I cancel those five servers and order another five servers? How, like, how do I do that? Maybe I make my application resilient enough to be able to know when a server is you know, overloaded and, and switch to these others. It's just a different type of problem. Mm-hmm. And it just really seems to be bare metal is another tool in the toolbox to be able to solve a problem. And it's really just a matter of 
which one which one of those paths do you want to go down? Um, most of the time that I see somebody going to bare metal um, in a, a non-enterprise type thing, software for the most part works in the small and medium-sized business uh, markets. IBM is, of course, uh, very much in the enterprise market. Um, but the, the core of our business at, at software is still really focused on that small, medium-sized business. Um, and most of the time I'm seeing people choose bare metal over just virtual um, is is really when they have an idea of what they want to do and how they want to do it. Mm-hmm. So our typical customer might come in and say, I want a Mongo cluster and I'm going to configure it this specific way. We don't typically get the customer who comes in and says, I need a, a database solution and it, it kind of needs to do this thing. Most of the time, they have a very good idea of, of what they would like to actually build. They're just looking for a cool place to do it that meets all the feature requirements that they have. Yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it is a more seems to be a more intensive, I would imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that setting up a, a bare metal instance is a lot more labor intensive for the developer than than using uh, a more virtual machine or, or service oriented model um, but as I said correct me if I'm long and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on on another tool I hear talked about in this sort of toolbox for solving problems which is containerization uh, as an alternative to to dedicated server or a traditional virtual machine do you think that that's my impression is that's kind of somewhere uh, between a, a virtual machine and a, a dedicated server in terms of, of reducing some of those problems. But as virtual machines have gotten better, is that uh, not true anymore? And I just wanted to get your, your general thoughts on containerization as a as a tool and, and where it fits in. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first to comment on uh, dedicated servers being more or less difficult to manage. Uh, as far as the system administration standpoint is concerned, uh, they're almost identical because once you get into an operating system, it's it's just an operating system. Mm-hmm. The the administrator probably doesn't know or care really if it's a dedicated server or if it's a virtual machine. So the ordering process can sometimes be a little bit more daunting because instead of just choosing the number of cores you want, you have to decide: Do I want this? this Intel processor A or this Intel processor B, or should I go with an AMD processor? And, you know, this this stick of RAM has a certain speed and this stick of RAM has a different speed. So it can be a little bit more daunting to, to kind of choose what you should be purchasing or renting every month. Um, but, of course, that's why we have sales engineers and, and a sales staff to kind of help take your requirements and figure out what they should be. But once you get in there, it's it's pretty much the same thing. Now, about containerization, I don't really see them or, or container, containerization as a, a rival or a competitor to virtual machines or dedicated servers. Um, for example, my, my personal blog, uh, I use Ghost, which is a pretty awesome application. I use Docker to actually deploy it because it's really simple and I can just, whenever there's an update, I just, you know, Docker pull and then it just grabs all the latest versions of the files and I'm able to put all of the specific files to my site, so the theme and all of the images that I have in a separate folder and just whenever I start the Docker container, I just say, hey, here's the the folder that contains all the custom stuff that doesn't exist inside of the the actual container, the Docker container. I run that on top of a virtual machine. and I could run that just as easily on top of a, a bare metal server. And I really think that 
the containerization movement is, is more about portability of applications and the making it a lot less complicated to have to worry about dependencies and also to make sure that the environments are identical between your development and your production. Uh, that way you don't, you know, because you, you run into a lot of problems where, okay, the, the production server has this version of PHP and my dev box has this version of PHP. And, you know, maybe the sysadmins haven't had enough time to go in and update the development version. So you're not working with the exact same setup on these two different servers, but the code is the same on both of them. And that can cause some funkiness to happen sometimes. And so really I feel that containerization is more about a workflow than necessarily a, a, a real technical uh, competitor to virtualization versus bare metal. Yeah, that's, that's, it, it's an interesting uh, thought, and, and I'm wondering sort of, as these as the systems continue to develop, how do you see uh, how do you see them working out in terms of, of enterprises and versus startups and and people in between? Like, what do you think is are of, of these technologies and these models is more going to be sort of the most popular among the the larger enterprise customers? And what do you think is going to become uh, more critical to to the operations of of the smaller operators and the startups? So, uh, from, from my point of view, it's it's always going to be a mix. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that there are many solutions or many problems out there where I would say you 100% need a virtual machine. Of course, in the beginning, like in the beginning phases of a project, that's almost always the answer, just because they're normally cheap, they're easy to get, they're easy to cancel, right? So, a virtual machine is almost always the right choice when we're just starting out on a project. Um, but when we're talking about any type of scale or, or, or any type of solution that, that has some, some meat and potatoes behind it, I think that you're always going to be looking at some combination of virtual machines and bare metal servers or, or dedicated servers, just because they, they typically are better at different things. Um, web servers are great to put on virtual machines, like caching servers, for example, because you can just throw them up. They're, they're, they're not necessarily intelligent. Uh, each individual node does not have a specific amount of importance. If the node goes down, no big deal. We can just fire up a new node. Uh, but things like databases typically work better on a, on a bare metal server, right? Um, and that's when it, it kind of starts looking a, a little bit more of a hybrid or a little bit more of an amalgamation between the two technologies. And there's a whole bunch of tiny little esoteric scenarios like that where maybe your application, like let's say you're doing video transcoding, maybe you find that FFmpeg works better on a bare metal server than it does on the virtual machine that you have in the public cloud. So if you're doing a whole bunch of transcoding, maybe it makes sense to have two or three large bare metal servers to do your transcoding than it does to have a farm of 50 virtual machines doing your transcoding. Um, and, and also part of it really is a, a cost thing as well. The, the cost model of a public cloud is is limiting by size. It, they don't really want you to buy large virtual machines in a public cloud. The, it's kind of almost like a, it gets more expensive the larger that you go, and of, of course it does, but I mean uh, price per uh, performance seems to get a little bit larger the larger that you go on a public cloud. And that's because it's 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 a, a more profitable model to, to have many virtual machines in one box. So at a certain point of performance, especially if you're talking about a specific task or, or one task that, that maybe runs in parallel, it may make sense to have either 
a whole bunch of smaller virtual machines or a handful of really big bare metal servers. So it's it's really situational, and I think most environments um, are going to have a little bit of both. And, and like I said, I, I don't really see... Docker or Linux containers as, as a third option, I think that you would be using those in between all of those bare metal servers and all those virtual machines to help deploy the application on them. Yeah, it's, it seems like you're you're really arguing, in that, and I think it, it's an argument that makes a lot of sense for the importance of, of the hybrid model as, as developers scale up. And I want to get your thoughts on sort of what are the kinds of, of questions that a developer should be asking themselves and what are the kinds of things that you really need to understand about the the architecture of, of the application system that you're building that, that you really need to think about when you're designing what kind of what kind of servers go where and, and what kind of of hybrid you're looking at and, and how to balance all the different elements in that sort of and you know, from a question of, of just also a, a second question just of scale, when do you really need to start thinking about getting off of that first, we just got some virtual machines because we're starting up and they're cheap? When is that sort of – what kinds of things will you start seeing happen that make you – that signal to, that should signal to you as a developer, I need to start thinking about uh, getting a larger and, and perhaps a, a more hybrid infrastructure going? It is a, a lot easier to scale an application that was intended to be scaled from the ground up than it is to take a mature application and rewrite it to be able to scale. And I, I think it's something that you pretty much have to start thinking of from day one. And not necessarily thinking about the specifics, but you have to prepare to be able to split that application into multiple types of infrastructure. Uh, the questions you should be asking, what does my application do? And uh, that seems kind of, kind of uh, unnecessary, but what I mean by that is you have to look at what your application is and what it is actually doing on, on a little bit more of a technical level. For example, let, let's just we, we were talking about transcoding a little bit earlier. Let's say we wanted to build a a video hosting website. Okay, mm -hmm. um, we have a network component where let's say it's a uh, you know a, a mobile app that somebody is able to take a video with and then upload it. Uh, actually, you know th this is a, a pretty good example of something like. Uh, uh, draw something. I don't remember if you remember that game. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, OMG Pop. Um, we, we hosted Draw Something uh, when it was uh, when it kind of hit its peak, and I always found that as a fairly interesting game, at least for me, because it was the first time, at least I personally, had seen a, a mobile game that took what was normally a real time experience and kind of made it asynchronous. And, and of course, you know, you have chess that, you know, happens over mail and all that kind of stuff. But the idea of, you know, guessing what somebody was drawing and then actually taking a video of the experience that both people had and then kind of sharing it with each other, I thought was just a brilliant idea. And so you have to, you have this user interaction that's happening on the mobile device. You're capturing basically a video of what's happening. And then you're storing that video on your servers, 
and then you're taking that video and then streaming it down to another person, and at the same time on your mobile app, you're recording what they do, and then you get to you know send it back up to your server, store it, and then whenever the, the first player wants to then view the, the second player's attempt at guessing their picture, they get to watch it, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if you think about all the things that are actually happening there, the... The user experience is completely seamless, and it's 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 just sensical, and it's it's simple, as it should be. But on the back end, you have thousands and thousands of people, their devices are recording video, and then sending that video up to some central location. They're storing those videos. Some of those videos will never be watched. Some of them will be watched immediately. Some of them will be watched within an hour. Um, you have all of these videos uh, you then have to keep track of where people were pushing buttons and how they were pushing buttons because you probably would like some analysis and some statistics behind what they're actually doing to improve the app experience itself. Um, and then you actually have this streaming video component where you're literally streaming a video uh, or maybe it's downloaded and then played. Uh, to me, it seemed like it was streamed. I, I don't really know a whole lot about the specifics of how they were doing it. But there are a lot of moving parts and a lot of components to that. Now, if I were to build one giant PHP class that did all of that, it would be really hard for me to then say, well, what if we had a, a server dedicated to just taking the uploads of videos? Right? Mm-hmm. Because you got one ser- one box one piece of code that's doing all of it. And so what you have to do is look at your application and say, okay, there are five or six major steps that happen. Now, this step here has these qualities and it does these specific things. Okay, well, it's very network intensive because um, we're going to be accepting this video. Um, and then we, we do a little bit of processing because we have to decide where that video should be stored. And in storage, there's a whole bunch of options you can get into about what tier of performance you want. Uh, maybe you take a video because performance storage is expensive, right? Mm-hmm. The faster the storage is, the more expensive it's going to be. So maybe if a video isn't watched within three days, you want to put it down into a lower level of performance storage. So that way it's a little bit cheaper for you to store it for a long time. And the more unlikely it becomes that somebody will use it, the the lower tier you, of storage you put it on as time goes through until eventually it's on some archival storage, right? And then if somebody wants to view it, sure, maybe it takes a little bit longer for them to see it, but they waited a week, right? So maybe that's an acceptable trade-off to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have a chunk of your application that has to accept the video, a chunk of your, your application that has to understand the usage characteristics of different videos and then decide what level of storage maybe they should live, they should live on. And, of course, that's a completely business-type motivation. We just want to make sure that we're getting the most efficient use out of our dollars. We have this other side of the application that's actually tracking who won, who lost, and keeping all these statistics so when people go to their user profile, they can see how well they're doing compared to their friends and have all their scores and stuff. There's all these little chunks, and that's why it's important really to start thinking about this kind of thing from the beginning, and it's more about application design, honestly, than infrastructure. Um, And it it may be just because I work in infrastructure and I have done so for so long that it's just kind of in my bones, but to me, I see application design and infrastructure design is basically two sides of the same coin 
because you could have each one of those logical components, each one of those little nodes that are doing a different job. They could exist on completely different infrastructures. You could have one that's a, a, a dedicated server that has only one job, and it's to run this little chunk of the, the application. You could have two of those chunks of the application on third-party services that you're not even managing. Maybe it's a database as a service, or maybe it's a message queue as a service that you're, you just don't even want to deal with. Maybe you don't have the expertise. Maybe you don't have the time, the money, whatever it is. Um, and I think that's really the, the most important thing to think about is how do I segment these application or this application so it can be multiple applications in a way? Um, I mean, most if somebody comes to me and they're saying, hey, Phil, we're looking to scale up our application. We're getting a whole bunch of users, and we notice the server is a little bit of a bottleneck. The first thing you tell somebody to do is say, take your database off of your web server and get another server just for your database, right? Like that's kind of the first step. And if you extrapolate that out a bit and kind of look at it over time, that's where you start to get. You, you hit a bottleneck with your application and you see that um, doing the analysis on what buttons people are pressing on your, your mobile app is taking up a whole lot of your resources. So take that chunk and kind of move it into its own environment. And then you can look at that chunk and the environment you put it in and you can say, well, maybe it's not performing very well here. Uh, we're still having a bottleneck. We're still having slow performance on this chunk of the application. Why don't we try splitting that load across four virtual machines? Uh, that didn't work out so well. Why don't we try putting that load on one bare metal server? It, you can really start to then experiment with each section of your app. And in a very organic way, you start to tune your solution and optimize the infrastructure and the application at the same time. Um, but if you write it all in one PHP class, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah and, and that raises sort of, I think, the question that raises for me, and, and I may I may be off base here, so let me know if I am, is that it seems like this whole, this process that you're describing of, of, of building a, a kind of a compartmentalized by, by app, by function, and then adapting your infrastructure as your needs changed is based on on having a cloud model that that is a sort of infrastructure based service and i'm i'm kind of wondering what do you think that that's something that that's the model that pretty much everyone should be using because it has that uh that level of uh of adaptability or is there sort of there's there room in in are there shared in developers who should be looking at, at the other kinds of sort of basic cloud models your more software or, or platform as a service model so the kind of the process that i described of course is one of probably a billion out there mm -hmm. uh, so there are definitely other mental models and other approaches to it um and while I feel that everyone should definitely experiment with a company that offers a, you know, a cloud solution, uh, as in pure virtual machine, also offers a bare metal, I don't think there's a silver bullet that meets every single use case and meets every customer's requirements. I think that uh, some customers are going to be a better fit for one of our competitors than, than us. Mm -hmm. And I also think that in some scenarios, you may be better off having all of your servers underneath your underneath the desk at work, right? Um, I think that it's important to experiment, but I definitely wouldn't want to imply that 
there is a end all be all solution that is the answer to the world's problems. Uh, I think it's I think it's a little bit more uh, subtle than that, and I think it's really about exploring the options and definitely try stuff that you don't expect because most co- most companies are going to offer some level of free tier where you can at least get your foot in the door and play around with the options and see what it is mm-hmm. and taking advantage of those things especially as a startup because most companies have a very very generous startup offering where you can go in and get a whole bunch of stuff for for little or no cost um, and I think that's the most important piece is actually experimenting um, which is a hard thing to tell a startup to do especially uh, hey I know I know you have uh, only one developer and one system administrator. Can they spend half their time, you know, playing with all these other tools? You know, that's a hard thing to ask. Uh, but it is important uh, to, to tinker and to to really try on a few different hats and figure out what shoe fits the best, whatever analogy you would like to use here. Uh, but yeah, there's there's definitely no solution that's going to be right for everyone. Uh, it's really about figuring out what's right for you and your business that makes sense from a technical standpoint, from a business standpoint. A security standpoint is another thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to make sure that uh, if you're storing certain types of data, that the data center you're using uh, is going to be able to support those compliance needs. Uh, and if you've got your server under your desk and there's no lock on the door, well, that doesn't meet those needs, right? So you, you really have to look specifically at what your business does and what your application does and, and then find the best fit as far as a service provider or doing it in-house or whatever the other options are. Yeah, right. I, I think I, I don't think I phrased my question uh, that well. I didn't want to sort of so give the impression that I, I was suggesting there was a, a one-size-fits-all solution for these sorts of things. But I, I guess sort of what I'm getting at is, is do you see uh, the kind of infrastructure-based model as, as the most malleable and adaptable of these models, or um, or or is sort of like or at the end of the day, is is that more related to a, to a different level? Is that more related to sort of bare metal versus virtual machines? Or where does that sort of, if I'm trying to build something that I need a lot of adaptability for, what should I be thinking about? Uh, yeah, I, I think if you need a lot of flexibility and you need a lot of agility, the infrastructure as a service industry is probably your best bet. Um, if, if anything, just because to go out and buy 10 dedicated servers to build a, a private cloud on, you know, hosted in, in your own office cloud is going to cost a huge amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be spending 10, 50, $100,000 per server. Um, and especially when we're trying things out, you can jump on a cloud provider and grab a virtual machine for a handful of cents an hour and, and test it out. And really be flexible. So yeah, definitely, I would say that the cloud industry is is, is we typically kind of call it now, but I, I think it's more appropriate to call it infrastructure as a service. Uh, I definitely think is is good when flexibility and adaptability is needed. Um, if anything, just because we're not dealing with huge contracts, we're dealing with machines that you don't have to have a personal or financial attachment to. You can just kind of get them and hey, this didn't work out. Let's try this other thing. Yeah, and, and I want to just sort of as a to, to bring up something else you were discussing that the security issue is. I want to get your thoughts on whether sort of uh, what aspects of, of of you should be thinking about if security is a really big concern for you. Is 
I mean, are there additional risks generated by being on a public versus uh, a private or hybrid or hybrid cloud? Are there additional risks from from different models like virtualization or containerization or or, or bare metal or like what are these? Where do you see if security is a big if data security is a big issue for you? What sorts of what parts of the system should you be thinking about in terms of security and what parts of the system sort of are going to be equivalent across the board? Sure. So in my experience with um, compliance stuff, so if we're talking HIPAA and PCI, uh, those types of things, the majority of the controls that are listed that, that, that need some type of response to are more about data flow and data access. They're mostly application tier stuff. Mm-hmm. The infrastructure provider uh, in those scenarios normally only has four or five things that that we need to to provide really, uh, and those major things are, are mostly around physical physical security, making sure that only people who have a necessary job title are allowed access to the data center, for example, or in the internal system that that you use to manage your your business. Does the infrastructure provider? only give billing information to the billing department, that type of stuff. Um, so for the most part, if we're talking generally about compliance, uh, it's it's a it's not a, a large ask for an infrastructure to provider to be able to uh, meet those requirements because they're fairly sensical and, and kind of things that you would expect already. Uh, now, if we start talking about security of virtual machines versus bare metal servers, uh, there is an inherent risk, of course, when we're, when you're sharing the same physical processor or physical RAM um, in a virtual machine environment. So if you have multi-tenant on a, on a public cloud, for example, uh, I, it's honestly something I don't think is a, a huge deal. I think uh, in the past it, it was definitely a much larger deal. Uh, but uh, when I was a kid, uh, my dad told me locks were for honest people. Uh, and it took me a long time to figure out exactly what that meant uh, until I learned uh, how to pick locks uh, when I was a little bit younger. Uh, and then I realized how easy it is, if you have that skill set, to pretty much open any door that you would like to. And that the only thing that prevents, let's say, me from going into my buddy's office and taking candy off of his desk is the fact that I, I have a moral thing against doing that. Um, so if we apply that then to technology, if you have something that is completely, absolutely needed for security and there's just it's it would be catastrophic if if it were to get out somehow then yeah you would want to reduce the number of possible attack vectors as possible so if virtualization is not locked tight and 100% and there's no hypervisor for example that can offer 100% guarantees that there is no way that we don't have a bug that would allow uh, memory address space to leak between virtual machines then a bare metal server might make more sense for you I think the number of applications that have that level of security are small. Mm-hmm. I think most applications and most solutions that I've helped build um, throughout my career have not needed that level of security. But for ones that do, uh, we do have things like uh, FISMA compliant data centers where uh, it's actually completely segregated from the rest of the company and you have to have even employees, for example, have to have an additional level of permission and uh, 
access to be able to even look at the machines that are in that facility. So there are definitely options out there that can provide a, an increased level of security. Uh, but it, it's once again really about analyzing what your business does, what your application does, and how important those components are. Yeah, yeah, and I just want to get sort of a, a final thought. Um, it seems like it, one of the themes running through the things you've been discussing is that virtual machines and virtualization in better in general has been getting better and better quality. Uh, and some of the advantages that it, it that uh, a bare metal system has over it have been slowly re- reduced over time. So, do you think that that these kinds of uh, of divisions but between these kinds of different services are always going to you're always going to need if you're there's always going to be a need for both or do you think that over time there's going to be some more convergence in models yeah that's that's honestly a really good question um it it's it's a really interesting problem too um it, it, we kind of started off in a world where computers were gigantic and only one person could use them at a time. And then we found ourselves in a model of terminals where we had one big computer in the office and everybody had a, a virtual terminal on top of it, right? Mm-hmm. And we we got to the point where computers were a little bit more affordable and so now everybody can have their own their own computer. Now we've kind of hit this this point where we can take one we can take one server, chop it up into a whole bunch of virtual machines, but now they each have their own operating system instead of all being a terminal for the same operating system. It, it's kind of hard to, for, for me to really gauge where that's going to go. Um, I mean, even if we were to think about things like uh, cell phones or, or uh, computing devices that we walk around with, it, it seems to me at some point there, there will no longer be a need to even have an actual computing device on you. If you have uh, some type of larger system and you have uh, some increases in Wi-Fi technology, maybe you're just carrying around a screen and maybe there's a a much more amorphous kind of uh, compute technology that's actually controlling everything. If we look far enough into the future, you start looking at that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the short term, uh, in the next five, ten years, I think we're still going to see both virtual machines and dedicated servers uh, as viable options. I think that while virtual machine is going to get a lot better, um, I don't myself see a way to solve that problem of the noisy neighbor. So I think there will still always be the need to have the dedicated server. And I think from a a business standpoint, um, unless there's some other disruptive thing that happens, it's still going to be necessary to have those options. Uh, Because until there's some technical thing that happens that basically reduces the difference in performance and accessibility between a virtual machine and a dedicated server to, to almost nothing, there's still always going to be a business need to have both. Yeah, all right. That's it's interesting, and I, I agree with you. It's it's a hard a hard space to 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 predict and and see. And thank you for coming on and and you know filling in the the blanks for me a little bit on on the differences and the advantages of these uh, these services. Absolutely, it was a, a great time. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and please remember to subscribe to Wireframes by the Apps Alliance to hear more insights from industry leaders.